there's a John and a Paul in most bands. There's a John and a Paul in most relationships, mm-hmm. um, which is, it's, it's strange how, how much the Beatles can be applied to, to a lot of things in life. held this title for eight years. My model of business is the Beatles. You know, they were four very talented guys. Welcome back to the Here, There, and Everywhere podcast. I'm your host, Jack Lawless. Our guest for this episode is Brenna Ehrlich. Brenna is a senior news editor at Rolling Stone, as well as a young adult author, a short story writer, and a freelance journalist. Thank you to all of those who have been tuning in weekly. It's because of your support that we have quickly become one of the top charting Beatles podcasts out there right now. And to all of the newcomers, welcome. This is a podcast where we explore the Beatles' continued influence on today's world and popular culture decades after their breakup. Hey, Brenna, thanks for coming on the podcast. How are you today? I'm good. Thank you for having me. I'm just sitting here with a little kitten named Skeeter who has yet to hear the Beatles, but I'm sure she'll love them. <laughs> awesome. So what's the first song you're going to play for the kitten? Oh, man. Something, I think, gentle because she's a little manic. So maybe we'll do some Blackbird. Oh, nice. Seems like a, a nice song. Maybe my husband will play it on mandolin to her or something like that. Cool. So, Brenna, what was the first time you heard the Beatles? So, I'm a strange one for this podcast because I grew up, obviously, hearing the Beatles. They're just kind of everywhere. My mom had, you know, Meet the Beatles. My sister had her classic rock phase in high school where we were in the car listening to Pepper. But I I was just never, like, a huge fan of the Beatles. Um, I kind of just moved on to XTC pretty quickly, which, you know, are hugely inspired by the Beatles. But in recent years, when I met my husband about six years ago, he's got a very, very strong connection to the Beatles. And he, he kind of like immersed me in the Beatles to a point where it was kind of impossible not to appreciate it. Um, Cause you know, if you grow up with the Beatles, you grow up with classic rock radio it's kind of just like air at a certain point. There's, you know, you know, all the songs, you don't know how you know them. Um, but when we started getting together and, you know, he would play the music and, and talk about, you know, the meaning behind it, uh, the band, I, I got like a whole new appreciation for this band that I just kind of grew up discounting in a way. Um, and that's, I know that's strange to just kind of like get into the Beatles in your thirties. Um, but I, I think at that point I was able to see how much of the music that I liked was influenced by them kind of retroactively, not like getting into the Beatles and then getting into other bands, but being able to see those connections in, in music um, and the lineage of music in kind of a backwards way. But, you know, getting this, really strong connection to music that before had just been kind of like what was on in the radio when my parents and I were going to the grocery store. Um, so I know, I know that like a lot of your guests kind of grew up with the Beatles and it was this eye opening moment. Um, 
but it, you know, it's kind of given me like a new filter to look through modern music and the evolution of modern music. So when you listen to the Beatles now, after gaining your newfound appreciation for them, is there anything that stands out as unique about their music to you? I think it's just how wildly creative it is. You know, early Beatles is so formulaic. It's covers, it's, you know, love songs. They're they're well-written, beautiful love songs. But when we get into later Beatles, the way that they progressed in just a couple, few years is just mind-blowing. And I feel like, you know, in a certain way, like not to be old man yelling at the clouds, we don't see musicians expanding their toolkit that much um, without getting backlash. And just the the creativity and freedom that they gave themselves to completely, you know, step away from what made them popular um, and expand to a whole new kind of even audience or a new palette of, of sound um, and writing is just incredible. And also, you know, just getting to know all of the Beatles separately. Um, we play a game in the car where my husband's just like, who's singing? Who wrote this? Like, who's playing guitar? And at first it was just kind of like, I don't know, like, but now I'm just like, oh, this is just obviously a John song. Like, you can tell, like, Paul couldn't write something like this. It's not within his wheelhouse. Or you see, like, Paul trying to write a John song. Um, yeah, it, it's it's just a kind of a fun way to learn about music in general and the way music is put together and the personalities that um that make up a band and the foils who play off of each other like there's a john and a paul in most bands there's a john and a paul in most relationships mm-hmm. um which is is it's strange how how much the beatles can be applied to to a lot of things in life yeah i know it's like you can't escape that no matter where you go so, Brenda, when did you decide you wanted to work at Rolling Stone? So I've wanted to work for Rolling Stone for as long as I can remember. Like most people I saw, almost almost famous in the theaters. Um, initially, actually, when I was a kid, I wanted to be a, a musician or, as I wrote in my kindergarten assignments, quote-unquote, a rock star. Um, because I was obsessed with David Bowie when I was a kid. David Bowie was like my Beatles. Um, and... <laughs> Over the years, I just kind of found that I had no talent for making music, but I was good at writing and um, went to journalism school and Rolling Stone was, you know, it was just, it was it for journalism. It was it for music journalism. It was it for investigative journalism. Um, just kind of this this legacy, this amazing history of of music and culture and politics and everything in between. So, yes, it's it's a dream to work there now. Um, I still can't believe it when I see the magazine at the store that my name is in there. So, <laughs> think you know, um, I think my lucky stars every day. I guess. Um, and has your career ever led you to a personal encounter with any members of the Beatles or the Beatles world? So I've not met the Beatles. Um, I have met or had interactions with pretty much all every single Beatles child. Um, so I've met Sean um, 
a couple times. I, I interviewed him about uh, the one of his Les Claypool um, collaboration records, and I got to go to what was Yoko and John, one of their old apartments in New York that had been made into a recording studio. Mm. And he was just casually like, oh, this is one of my dad's guitars. Like, you know, very, very smart guy. And also looks so much like John. It's, it's so, so strange. Just, he's a like crazy mind, um, Sean Lennon, like he just starts talking about bees and insects and like microorganisms. Um, so you can, you can see, you know, the lineage there. Um, so I met Danny once when, uh, he had one of his records coming out and he's just like a, such a kind, like affable guy. Um, really sweet. And we were just talking about the, the, the movie mom and dad save the world came up and he, he was just like, oh, my dad did the music for that. I was just like, the way that they all kind of just say my dad is, and you're like, you mean your dad, one of the Beatles? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and Zach Starkey, I don't believe I've spoken to him, but he, I used to work at Title, and he did some playlists and things for us. Um, but also he's just like, he's got his reggae label, um, just kind of like a, spacey kind of guy like like Ringo um and I briefly met Julian um at the there was a music cares event at the Grammys for Joni Mitchell and he was on the red carpet and um I wasn't expecting to see him and neither was my husband because um we are huge fans of Hey Jude uh my husband sang it at our wedding and we were just kind of like oh that's Jude and we weren't expecting to see him and I didn't know what to ask him. And I, I just remember being like, oh, I met your brother. <laughs> and he was just like, oh, he's, he's, he's a good, good lad. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, it's strange to see these, these children of, of, um, of legends and, and the, you know, what they must shoulder as, as those kind of kids. Um, and we did actually see, uh, Paul McCartney on his last um, show of the tour in New Jersey, where he brought out Bruce Springsteen and um, Bon Jovi. And it was three hours, didn't even take a sip of water the entire time. I think we cried three times. The woman next to us told us that she had survived cancer and she had just been waiting all year to go see Paul McCartney and like when we when the show was over we all hugged so it's um, you know especially with live music as everyone says like like live music has been kind of a non-entity for the last couple of years and especially as you get a little older and you, you don't go to shows all the time it's been a while since I've been to a show that's been like that kinetic and, and that emotional like you look at the man sitting next to you like an older man singing along to Blackbird and you're like you probably sang that to your kids and you know every i think everybody has memories of the beatles in a way that's so universal that it's it's staggering so what's your favorite memory of the beatles i mean i would say um a couple memories and some of them are not not happy memories but um 
my husband singing Hey Jude at our wedding and just like losing his mind. Um, my husband's father was also a huge Beatles fan and he passed away. Actually, he and his father, his father and his mother were supposed to visit us in New York for the first time. And I was going to get to meet his father and he passed away the night before they were supposed to visit. And his luggage was sitting in the living room and there was um, Rob Sheffield's dreaming the Beatles on top of it. That he was ready to come talk to my, my husband about, I know you've had Rob on before. And um, my husband at the memorial for his father sang strawberry fields. And it was just, you know, like just that that music meant so much to them and the bond between them is also partially why it's become to mean so much to me. It's not just music. It's the way that people bond. It's the memories and the relationships that they form over music. And that's, what's so powerful about someone like the Beatles. It's not just, you know, Oh, that like guitar solo is awesome. It's, you know, that you, you're able to have a whole podcast of people coming on and they're all going to say something different. It might be rooted in the same kind of, you know, emotion, but they all have their own relationship to, to this one band that put out a limited amount of records. Yeah. You know, I think that's a huge reason why they're the best group of all time. I don't think it's necessarily because of music, uh, technicality or how proficient they were on, on their instruments. I think it's, because of how they ingrain themselves with people's lives and how their music is like intertwined. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's just, and kids are discovering them all the time. I think, you know, on streaming, like the biggest proportion of people listening to the Beatles are kids. You know, there's always somebody who's going to discover them, which is, is really cool. Do you have a favorite Beatle? That is a really hard question. <laughs> um, it's probably John in the way that he was complicated and weird and tortured and creative. Probably wouldn't be the best Beatle to hang out with. Um, probably would kind of make fun of you. I think like Paul and Ringo would probably be more chill to hang yeah. out with. Um <laughs> But John just like, I think had a level of genius that is really rare um, and a level of wit and ability to not really care. I mean, he obviously cared, but to just, you know, be like, I'm going to make weird music with my wife now and I'm going to step away from this, this band that made me famous and I'm going to, you know, just do some weird shit with my wife and it's going to be cool. And I don't care what the fans think. Um, and, you know, and that's also, you know, partially like we don't know what he would have done if Mark David Chapman hadn't stepped in. Um, he had a, you know, years of potential ahead of him. So I, I wonder if he would have continued like Bowie to just like keep innovating or if he would be kind of like Ringo in the all-star band, but I, I think it would probably be more like, more like Bowie. Yeah. I know that John was planning on wrapping up the next studio album after double fantasy. And then he was planning a tour 
for Double Fantasy and that next album, which eventually became Milk and Honey. Um, but yeah, I mean, like the 80s and 90s were so progressive musically. Like, I mean, I would have loved to hear anything he would have done. Yeah, the 90s was just like. So I'm I'm in my late 30s. So like I remember radio in the 90s and how it was just like anything was on the radio. It was just like, you know, flagpole sitta and like the they might be giants and like um the swing resurgence like i think bowie had some stuff in the 90s that people were not particularly fond of but you know looking back it's like he just kept going he worked with nine inch nails or, or toured with nine inch nails and i would have been interested to see what john would have done with you know even hip-hop like mm. i i he didn't seem like the kind of person who would stop innovating at any point. Even Paul like worked with Kanye and Rihanna. So what would have, what would have John done with Kanye? That would have been pretty crazy to see. You know, that reminds me of a video I saw once of Mark Ronson and Sean Lennon auto tuning John's vocals on one of his songs. And yeah, I mean, it just really makes you wonder what John would have done with the possibility of auto tune. Just like Kanye uses auto tune. Yeah, they would have. I don't know if they would have worked together really well, or if they would have like destroyed each other. But right. <laughs> <laughs> I, I would have loved to see that. I would have loved to hear his thoughts on Oasis as well. Yeah, yeah, Oasis. Um, is it uh, Coldplay? Yeah, all those kind of uh, Radiohead. I I don't know if he ever was like aware of XTC, but I'd be f- curious to hear what he thought of them. That's kind of my favorite band of all time. So, oh yeah, which are definitely definitely huge Beatles. Um, and it was also the dichotomy with between Andrew Andy Partridge, who's obviously the John, and Colin Moulding, who is the Paul. Um, you, although I, I talked to them and they were just kind of like, no, there's, we're not the Beatles, you know, but <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's, it's hard to, um, to not see the, the parallels there. So Brenna, what's your favorite Beatles album? I think it's Sgt. Pepper. Really? Honestly. Um, I think Sgt. Pepper kind of has everything. It's got kind of silly stuff. It's got beautiful stuff. Um, and it's also one that I remember really, really liking as a kid um, when I first started listening to the Beatles. Yeah, Pepper's got, it's a, it's a solid record. Um, I don't know what else to say about it. But. Yeah, surprisingly, I think you might be one of like five people that we've had on the podcast so far that's said Sgt. Pepper is their favorite. But I'm glad it's getting some recognition. Who, um, what was, what's the most popular well, for the most part, people say Revolver and Abbey Road, also Rubber Soul. Um, but I do think Sgt. Pepper is extremely good, and I think pe- a lot of people tend to overlook its accomplishments. Um, and it has some like silly songs, like Good Morning, you know, like kind of spiraling out of control. But it's it also has like She's Leaving Home and. Um, within without you within you without you like it has kind of everything just 
joyful record. I totally agree. Do you happen to know any facts about the Beatles that some people may not know? I think it's not quite a fact, but um, so I really like Ram. Um, That's probably one of my favorite solo records. And Monkberry Moon Delight was actually covered by another really great musician I like called Exuma, who is a Bahamian um, musician who came to America in New York in like the 70s and put out a couple records, one called uh, Exuma the Opium Man, which was this like crazy like seance of a record. Um, Actually, the song was in that movie Nope during um, a big sequence. And it's it's so funny because I could have sworn that this song, The Monk Mary Moon Delight, was an Exuma song that Paul covered because it's just such a like, I guess, uncharacteristic song for him. It, yeah. it sounds like somebody from the Bahamas who's like wound up in mysticism wrote this song as opposed to Paul McCartney. Right. Um, <laughs> so yeah, I encourage everyone to go check out that cover and also Exuma, the Obia man. That's awesome. Yeah. I haven't heard that, but I'll definitely check it out. Oh, it's so good. It's all on streaming now. It wasn't, I think only the first record was on streaming, but his kids finally got like his whole discography up there, which includes, um, Monkberry Moon Delight. Oh, that's awesome. And so what do you think it is about the Beatles that makes other artists want to continually cover their songs? And why, like, why are the Beatles always relevant? I think it's, it's partially just how, how they metamorphosized, like how, how they just kept changing their sound, how they, they were never afraid to put out just like a silly song with farm animal noises and um, yellow submarine and octopus's garden. And they were able to put out the most beautiful music in the world. And also like stuff that drives you crazy. Um, I famously hate Obladi. It's my least favorite song of all time. Um, no way. Drives me crazy. I hate that song, <laughs> <laughs> but I think not a lot of people have a discography where you're like, I want that song at my wedding. And if I hear that song again, I'm going to like put my fist through the wall. And <laughs> it takes a certain level of bravery and creativity and innovation to just not be afraid to do that. And I think there's something so inspiring about that um, that is inspiring to all generations. Like just, just, you know, don't be, a, don't be afraid to make people to drive people crazy on one of the, the the songs on a record. My husband loves that song. I hate it. He was playing it on the piano the other day just to piss me off, and we got into a legitimate fight over this song. <laughs> um, but again, like you play Blackbird, you play Strawberry Fields, you play um, Norwegian Wood, and then it's like, like Happy Birthday or <laughs> Good Morning, and it's just the the dichotomy there is like pretty crazy. Yeah. <laughs> so Brenna, what have you been up to recently? Are you working on any projects? Um, so I actually just, I, I write young adult fiction. Um, and my most recent book just came out in March. It's called killing time. It's a young adult thriller. 
about a girl who decides to do a podcast about her teacher who is murdered. Um, so that's out now. And then um, this issue of Rolling Stone, I don't know when the podcast is coming out, but the September issue of Rolling Stone, which has Harry Styles on the cover, I have a story um, in there about a member, a very early member of the OJs who went missing. And um, a, a bag of bones that was found in a small town in Ohio and how eventually we came to learn that that bag of bones, which had been um, the oldest John Doe in that area, turned out to be this member of the OJs. Wow. Um, so I have like a pretty intense investigative story about who that man was. His name was Frankie Little um, and how he came to end up in Twinsburg, Ohio. Um, so that's probably the biggest thing that I have out right now, but I'm sure everybody's already picked up the issue because Harry Styles is on the cover, but, um, if you want to, if you want to read the rest of it, that story's in there as well. And it was just, um, I spent a lot, I spent a year on the story, getting to know his family, his son, who's in prison, um, his cousin, his, his, uh, brother. And that, that's kind of like, right in the pocket of what I like to write about, which is kind of true crime, the intersection of music and, and, you know, these stories about people that you might not other might not otherwise know. That's so insane. I mean, I can't believe I haven't heard about that story before. Yeah. They just found out that he was a member of the OJs about a year ago and it was in a local paper and we did a quick post about it for Rolling Stone and then I went to Ohio. Um, I went to the spot where he was found. Um, it's a it's a pretty crazy story and, and a really sad story too. It's just a really talented musician um, who somehow we still don't know who killed him, unfortunately. But I'm hoping the the cops have a lot of leads, and I'm hoping that's something that is solved soon. And everyone can read about that in the September issue of Rolling Stone magazine as well as online. Yep, it's online if you want to look up. Actually, I don't remember the, the headline that we went with. But if you search OJ's Rolling Stone and Brenna Ehrlich, it should come up. Cool. So, Brenna, I had just have one last question for you. Um, I'm wondering where you see the Beatles in the next 100 years from now. In terms of inspiration or? Yeah, like in terms of their influence on today's world, if they're still going to be listened to. I think there's always going to be kids discovering the Beatles. And especially since we live in a world where music is at your fingertips. Like, I think part of the reason why I wasn't as much of a Beatles fan when I was a kid is like, you had to save up money to go buy a CD and you had a limited amount of CDs that you could buy. Um, and my mom had one Beatles record and it was meet the Beatles and it was vinyl. Mm -hmm. Now, as I, like, as I said, the biggest streaming audience for the Beatles is young people. And as long as, you know, we have this access to music and kids can listen to this entire discography, um, which recently, you know, is, is on streaming because they were kind of a holdout for a while. Mm -hmm. I think it's only going to keep inspiring kids and i know like 
they do something for every big anniversary. So I think the next thing is going to be a, like a deluxe revolver. Um, so I think there's only, you know, only so many records that we can do deluxe editions of, but then there's also um, solo records that we can do deluxe editions of. Paul is still kicking around and making new music. Egypt Station was great. Um, yeah, I guess I don't see them evaporating. I don't see them becoming a band that people forget, to be honest. I think they're they're one of those those groups that's just gonna new kids are gonna find them. Yeah. Everyone's gonna find them. Maybe they'll find them when they're 30 something years old like I did and find a new appre- appreciation that that you know keeps their life interesting and, and fun. I completely agree. And Brenna, thanks a lot for coming on the podcast. It was a pleasure speaking with you. Awesome. I really enjoyed it. And thank you. Thank you for having me. Thank you all for listening to another episode of the Here, There, and Everywhere podcast. I appreciate all of your support. Thank you, Brenna, for coming on the podcast and for all of your stories. You can find Brenna on Twitter at Brenna Ehrlich, and you can check out her new book, Killing Time, in the podcast description below. If you like this episode, be sure to subscribe so you get a notification sent to your phone every time a new episode is released. As always, I will see you next week with a new guest.